Are you sure 326, uh, we're on 328, is that right? 326. Are you absolute? we're on 326 or 328? We're on 326. That's, so why you guys tell me that I didn't have the, don't do that, okay? That's very, whoever did it, that's very annoying, and don't, don't do that again, please. I, it's, I want to make sure that this class is conducted properly. Um, okay, I have no prayer requests today except um, uh, Rick, who is going into surgery on the 13th, which is uh, next Tuesday, I believe. And then um, we want to have Tom in prayer. He's leaving tomorrow to tend to his family. His brother and sister are both having physical problems, and he needs to fly up there and take care of them. So uh, he says we're live on YouTube. Thank you, Sergio. I don't know if you can hear me, but thank you. Um, so there you go with that. A couple of prayer requests and... Um, uh, oh, one other thing. Listen, I got this. I don't know if you can see it, but you can see it's a sheep with a mask on it. If you understand the symbolism, if you want one of these, please send me an email. It's not on Charlie Missy's regular, um, uh, her regular uh, page. She's selling it through somebody else. But if you want a uh, shirt with a sheep and a mask on, Send me an email. I will send you the um, link to where you can go to buy one of these. And I'll announce this again on Sunday because obviously the uh, Prophecy Update gets way more views than the, uh, the uh, Bible study. But on Sunday, we will be having a raffle. The one who gets the right answer to a Bible question will get a black copy of it. It's an extra large, so it will fit anybody from the biggest to the smallest. And so there you go. That's coming to a Sunday near you. But for now, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get started with um, Jet, uh, Galatians 3.26, which I knew I was right because I circled it. And so we're in Genesis 3.26. Oh, we need to pray first. Did I say Genesis? We're in Galatians. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come together. Uh, we've started out a little bit off today because of some streaming problems and then other issues have come up, but uh, we ask that you would just keep the uh, class going on a normal footing and that uh, your word would be glorified, that we would pray that uh, there would be uh, nothing that is incorrect said in this class, but if there is, that that would be uh, corrected by somebody that hears it and, you know, they can email me and say, you know, this is wrong and please correct that. And we just don't want to have anything of error in your beautiful word. But we do pr pray this. We pray for the people that were mentioned a moment ago and uh, also want to add in um, uh, Mark and Becky in Colorado with some more problems that are ongoing. And Lord, we just thank you for the chance to uh, pray for these people. And we just thank you for the chance to get into your word. And we just praise you. You are so wonderful. We praise you and we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, you know, sometimes you say something in a class and somebody disagrees with you and they send you an email and then you get it squared away or you obviously disagree with them and say, you know, I'm not, your view on that is incorrect and I'm not going to correct that. So what I'm talking about is if there's just something actually incorrect in the word that I need to, this deficient. Um, I will make sure that that gets announced the next week because I never want to have something wrong. Um, you know, it's like you go into Facebook and somebody says there's no uh, pre-tribulation rapture. You're all going to go through the tribulation period and you can debate with them all day long and you're never going to change their minds. Okay, there's just some things that uh, people are going to disagree about because they want to believe what they're told regardless of what the Bible says. Um, yes? Can I ask you a question? Sure. Okay. Make it loud. You always have poetry at the end. Yeah. 
How long does it take you to do that poetry? Well, I'll tell you what I do. I, I used to do it for each sermon, okay? I, I'd write to, it, you know, if there's five verses, then you have five verses that you have to make into a poem. And I used to do it for each sermon, and then I changed that, and what I started to do was I would do the poem for the entire chapter. And then as I go through the chapter and break it up into sermons, uh, I would have it done for that chapter so I wouldn't have to worry about it. And it just depends on how long the chapter is. And it also depends on, you know, sometimes you can sit down and you can do poetry. If you've ever written poetry, you can do it in minutes. I, it just, you know, it comes to you. And then sometimes you can struggle for seemingly forever. Literally, it, the poem can take as long as, it can take forever to get it done. So I have no answer for you. I, I don't know, your brain works uh, well in some things some days and in others, you know, you just can't get out of your own way. And, or you get a crazy word, you know, and then I have to make something up, like, you know, uh, uh, the, the word poplar, okay? There's really nothing that rhymes with the word poplar. And so that's when I'll change a word from, I'll say, up to the toppler. I'll make up a word. You have to do that sometimes. But the poems can be easy sometimes. It just depends on, on the structure of the passage you're going through. And sometimes they can be brutal. But because I do it, I want to make sure that I do it every week now. I, I started that, I think, well, about I think Oh, well, thank you. I didn't know that. At I, some you know, point in time, you'll have a poem. Poem of the entire book Bible. of... Yeah, well, the, the, well, we'll have the whole, uh, we'll have the whole Torah. I don't know if we'll ever get through the whole Bible, but yeah, coming soon to uh, Deuteronomy near you, we'll be done with the entire Torah. And uh, what I do after I do that is I compile all of the poems onto one page, and then after that book is done, I take that and post it on the Wonderful One website. So if you ever want just the whole poem, it's on the internet. Or if somebody, you know, some people have actually emailed me and said, "Would you send me just the poems?" And I have a page, and I'll email them to you. But that's that's the answer to your question. And so I, I don't have any answers to how long it takes. Sometimes they go pretty quickly, and sometimes they just take. They seem to go on and on. But I will send myself an email to remind myself before I start that chapter. Do the poem on that chapter, and whenever I have free time during the week, I sit down, and that becomes all I do. I turn off any emails. I turn off everything, and I just focus on the poem. So I appreciate you saying that. See whiz. Okay, so we are in Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 3, and we're in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And so uh, here we go. Um, go ahead and you read it, and then I'll follow after you. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's almost a word for word what I have here. And uh, it's, uh, anyway, I, I knew that we hadn't gotten into chapter 4 because we stopped right at a paragraph. We were right at the end of the week, so... There you go. Okay, uh, Paul now changes his terminology from we in the previous verses to you in this verse. The word you is plural and is speaking to the Galatians as a Gentile group, but he's speaking to individuals. When it's plural, it's speaking to all of the people, okay? When you see it in the singular you, it would be speaking to the church, okay? So uh, as a whole, like we'll see that in the, we see it every week in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses will change from the singular to the plural right in the middle of a sentence sometimes. And he'll say it for five words and they'll go back to the plural or uh, he'll go back to the singular. And he always does that for a reason. And you have to sit down and think, why is he doing this? And sometimes it's very hard to pinpoint why that is happening. And you'll see this in the New Testament as well. You see it in the book of Revelation, and then you have to really pay attention because Jesus is speaking, will say, this is an example, and I'm not saying that this is the case. I'm just giving an example. The church of uh, Laodicea, he's speaking in the singular, then he goes to the plural and back to the singular. 
you need to be careful as to why that is because most people will never comment on that. I'm talking about scholars. They just go over it. But those things are really important as to why the Lord is doing that. And uh, you can usually, if you think it through, you can usually figure why he did that, you know, why the change. But sometimes it's not as easy. But keeping track of when something goes from we to you or from the singular to the plural is really important in sometimes determining proper theology. And I would say that's probably especially true, not just with Revelation, but with the book of anybody. Very important to follow this. It's the book. What? Yes, she got it. Hebrews. Hebrews is a really important book to understand what is being said. And I got to tell you, most of what's being said in the book of Hebrews is to the collective people, Israel. Okay, it's not just to individuals, but there are times when he's speaking to you about a truth which applies to everybody. But you really have to pay attention with Hebrews. Absolutely right, 100%. It's a very important book to understand that, or you're going to have bad theology and think you can lose your salvation, which is what people will do. All of a sudden, they'll say, well, see this verse in uh, chapter 6 of uh, Hebrews says that you can lose your salvation when he's not speaking to you in an individual capacity at all. Anyway. Hey, do I get to ride in the F 35? Yes, I'll take you on a ride on that tonight. Okay, so. Uh, Luke, Luke he, does that a lot in Acts, too. Oh, yeah. Just, yes, Luke does that. And when he does that in Acts, that's a very good point to make, just so the people know it. When Luke does that in the book of Acts, it's showing that he is physically with Paul at the time. And then when it says they, it means he's probably not with them. So he is writing, he may have stopped, you know, Paul get off a ship and he'll walk for a while and it'll change from we to they or he or whatever. So it's important to look at the we sections of Acts and understand that Luke was physically with them and what he is describing is absolutely from a first person uh, viewpoint, okay? That's a good point there. Okay, so we have the uh, you in this verse, the you is plural and it's speaking to the Galatians as a Gentile group who are now included in the promises of God. The U includes all, both Jew and Gentile, but it must be remembered that the main substance of the letter is concerning the Gentiles. They're the ones that are being duped into believing that they have to adhere to the law of Moses in order to be pleasing to God. Paul shows here what malarkey that is. In these words, his emphasis is on sons of God rather than all. The intent is to show that by mere faith in Christ Jesus, we are brought into the family of God as sons of God. What is important to understand is that Paul uses the term huyas for sons. According to Help's Word Studies, the word means properly a son by birth or adoption, figuratively anyone sharing the same nature as their father. For the believer, becoming a son of God begins with being reborn or adopted by the heavenly father through christ the work of the eternal son in the new testament huios son equally refers to female believers such as in galatians 3:28. okay so that's uh helps word studies comment on that it's something that you can file away in your mind is that that is what is being referred to Paul could have used another word, which would be technon. It's something that uh, when uh, John writes in his three smaller epistles towards the end of the New Testament, he'll call them technia, little children, okay? Technon is children to describe us, which he uses in Romans 8 and 9 and in Philippians 2 under a different context. Once again, 
just like the we to you or the singular to the plural, looking at individual words, then it's kind of a shame. You'll see uh, translations. Maybe I mentioned this last week. You'll have a translation which will translate two completely different words the same in the same verse or within one or two verses of each other. Like when we went through the uh, David and Goliath series, we saw that they're uh, two, uh, what do you call it, um, warring factions, two armies on either side of a valley. And then in the middle, they translate the next word, valley, which is a completely different word. And what it means is a ravine. And then from there, there's one more valley that's running through there, and that's a completely different word, nahal. So you've got these three different words. You've got, uh, um, uh, what is it? Um, anyway, uh, Valley of Elah. Okay, I can't remember the first one. The second one is Gai, and the uh, third one is Nahal. And all three are different words. I think it's Emet. It's not Emet. Um, uh, anyway, I'm not remembering the third word right now, but all three are different, and they're all translated the same. And so you don't know what's going on. That's why word studies are hugely important, and it doesn't matter if you're in the Old Testament or New, or if you're in a, uh, you know, a, a writing, one of the historical writings, or if you're an epistle. You need to understand that sometimes translators will translate two different words the same, and it doesn't help you with your theology. Read lots of translations, and if you can, study the Greek as well. Even if you don't study it in depth, that's not what I'm saying, but understand that different words are being used, okay? So, Paul uses the word technon there in Romans and in Philippians. The reason for this is that when one is under the law, they were as an immature child being led by the pedagogue. However, when one comes to God by faith, they're no longer under the care of that guardian. Instead, they have come to maturity and have the full rights which being a son within the family grants. Although the distinction between these words is slight and should not be pressed too far, the use of children by some translation confuses the distinction that Paul is making. And so just kind of make a note, this is a different word than used in the whatever verse where it says children elsewhere, and then you will be able to understand that. It is through faith and not deeds of the law that one comes to this mature position. To insert precepts of the law into one's life in order to stand justified before God demonstrates immaturity and a need to go back to school, study proper theology, and hopefully grow into faith which saves. Anything else disqualifies a person from the right to be called a true son of God. Uh, speaking of that, I had somebody today, uh, they were watching Sergio and Rhoda's videos, and they really enjoyed them, and then they went to the Superior Word website, and they were looking at, because, you know, Sergio linked us in one of the videos, I don't know which one, and um they came back and they said, I saw on your site somewhere that you uh, do not agree that Jehovah's Witnesses are uh, mainstream and, you know, you need to not talk about them that way. They're, they do great deeds and, uh, you know, they said just because of some minor differences like the Trinity and uh, the other one was, yeah, and I went back and I, I, I wasn't rude to him, but I was very direct. I said, I want you to know that she said, you called them a sect. I said, I did not call them a sect. I would never call them a sect. That means like They're a subsect. Yeah. yeah, no, they are a cult. I said, they are a cult and you need to understand that the definition of antichrist in the Bible is denying the incarnation of the son. That is the definition of Antichrist. They deny the deity of the Son. I said, and by default, then, they deny the Trinity. Because if you don't have the Son as God, then you don't have a Trinity. And I said, there are other errors in that as well. But I went through that, and I went through another one of their things. And I said, 
you need to have your terminology correct because if you don't, and I said this is another Jesus, and I cited the verse there, and a false gospel, and I cited Genesis or Galatians 1, 6 through 9. And I said, you need to understand that if you are pursuing this, you are not a saved believer. You are following a false gospel, and you will be chucked into the pit of hell. I said, there's, there's no way around that. I don't know what her theology was, if she was just saying that, or if she was a Jehovah's Witness trying to get me into, you know, lightening up on that. But there can be no fellowship with Belial. There can be no light when there is only darkness. We don't go down to the projects because it makes us, uh, you know, I, I could think of a thousand reasons why we would not go to the projects on Saturday morning. It's too hot. It's raining. It's whatever. We go down there because there's either light or darkness knocking on those doors. And that's the only two things. Those Jehovah's Witnesses go down there and they do that. But words have meaning. And either she was trying to twist the words to me or somebody had twisted the words to her. And you have to be very careful with theology. Theology actually matters. And anybody that thinks that the Jehovah's Witnesses are a sect of Christianity is out of their mind. Okay, it's the same thing with Mormonism. They are not. They are cults. They are divergent from the mainstream to the point where they are heretical and there should be no fellowship with them at all. Okay, so... Kumbaya, yeah, absolutely. There's no kumbaya with them. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, life application. Here we go. Doctrine matters. We should never stop growing in our doctrine, and we need to learn to put aside childish things. Let us be fully developed and mature Christians who live by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is it. Okay, we don't want to add in the law, which is what Galatians is about. We don't want to make the mistake that Jesus, it's okay to deny that Jesus is not God, which is what Paul will harp, I'm sorry, John will harp on. We need to have our theology set. And there's nothing wrong when people try to silence you because they say you're not being loving, you just ignore them. Okay, I'm talking to anybody that hears this. If you are holding to proper doctrine, you have every right to call somebody out on it. If they don't like that because they're starstruck by that person, that is their problem, okay? But you need to hold the line on theology and not waffle on it. Sometimes it's not worth arguing with people. They'll make a statement, you'll just kind of ignore it. That's one thing. But if they come out and they are out there teaching something incorrect, you, you can't let that stand. You need to talk against them and their poor theology. That's no way around it. Anyway, uh, 327. For all of for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself, yourselves with Christ. Okay, now all makes it sound like all of them had been, but this one says, for as many of you uh, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, obviously, if he's speaking to say believers, then all of them have, but it's just a different way of saying it. Paul just stated, for you all, uh, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. This verse now further explains that. He begins with, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ. Paul is not speaking of water baptism. This is understood from the next words, have put on Christ. If water baptism is what Paul was speaking of, then anyone who got water baptized would be in Christ and would have put on Christ. This is not the case as only those who believe in the work of Christ put on Christ. Everybody see that? Because guess what? Mormons get baptized, don't they? Jehovah's Witnesses get baptized. And we have millions of people around the world that baptize little babies. And they haven't made the decision for Christ. Now, obviously, 1 Corinthians 7 says that they are under the umbrella of their parents, okay? But that 
baptism for them does not it does not equate to what no it's not and that's a problem with infant baptism is that catholics will say well i was baptized when i was young implying that i'm a-okay with god has nothing to do with it okay so we need to be careful about that it's not the case only those who believe in the work of christ put on christ belief is how you are saved not water baptism water baptism is mandatory i'm sorry for those people that disagree it is something that the Lord has asked us. He hasn't asked, he's commanded us to. He's given us two commands. One is baptism, the other is the Lord's Supper, communion. That's right. Those are things that he said to do, and we are to do them. If people disagree, you can show them all day long from Scripture till you're blue in the face, and they're just going to disagree because they were trained improperly. They believe that, and they're going to hold to it come heck or high water, okay? But the fact is that it is something that we are required to do, and the Bible is very clear about that, but it is not something that will save you. It is obedience after salvation, just as the Lord's Supper is obedience after salvation. Hence, when people don't have the Lord's Supper, they are being disobedient. That's exactly right, okay? So, it's not the case. They have put on Christ. It is by an act of faith, not a work, that one unites with him. The term put on gives the idea of being clothed by another. It is what happened to Adam after he exercised faith in the word of the Lord and named his wife Chava, Eve. Okay, God covered him. Okay, that is a picture of salvation. Is that they were on their way out of the Garden of Eden and they were lost, they were separate from God, and then what is his name? Adam named his wife Hava because he understood that there would be life again from the promise of Genesis 3.15. And immediately after that, immediately after it says that he named his wife Eve, then the Lord covered him as a picture of salvation. Okay, it was something that was goes from A to B to C very, very clearly in scripture is that something had to die. He covered him with skins of animals he didn't cover them with skins of you know uh some paper tree or whatever he something had to die the lord is the one who did it he is the one that made the sacrifice the animal was skinned the garment was put over adam and it was a picture of the imputation of the righteousness of christ it was a picture of that so that's what happened there okay anyway um uh, where is it yes adam after he exercised faith in the word of the lord and named his wife eve God covered him. The baptism Paul speaks of is that of a close and intimate relationship which has been established between Christ and the believer. It is what we would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. I just remembered the word. The word for valley in uh, between David and Goliath is emek, E-M-E-Q. Okay, emek. And then you have guy and you've got um, the other one, which is nahal. I apologize for not remembering that earlier. Just came to me. So, okay, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist first alluded to it early in the book of Luke. So we're going to go there really quickly. He speaks about it. We're going to go to Luke chapter 3. And let's see here. John, I just had it. I keep losing my page here. There, 5, 4, and 3. There we go. And then in Luke uh, 3, verse 16, I'll go to 15. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing 
pan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and will gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So Christ baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, okay? So having said that, do disciples baptize people with the Holy Spirit? No. No, okay? Text proof that you need to go through water baptism because Jesus said, let's go there. Everybody here agreed on that. I didn't get a yes, and I'm not getting any arguments. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 28, and it says there in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples, okay? He tells them to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. We just decided that disciples do not baptize people in the Holy Spirit. Everybody agreed with that. If anybody disagrees with that, their theology is lacking, okay? So baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So Christ baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. Everybody got that? And then as obedience to that, you go forth and you baptize. That's why in the book of Acts, every person that believed, every person that believed in the book of Acts was baptized afterwards, okay? Now, the book of Acts is descriptive. It describes what they did. It doesn't prescribe anything. However, there is something to be said for the constancy of the baptizing following the command of the Lord, okay? And then Paul says that he actually, in his own epistles, baptized people. He says, I wasn't called to baptize. I was called to preach the gospel, okay? But other people were baptizing after they had received Christ. That just wasn't Paul's thing. You can only do so many things in a church. If you're in a big church and you bring a thousand people to Christ, I guarantee you that you are not going to be the one to baptize those 1,000 people, okay? You have somebody else that does the baptism. And you've got, if you've got that many people in your church, then you're going to have a wedding pastor and you're going to have a funeral pastor and you're going to have a guy that goes down to the hospital when there's not COVID-19 to worry about. But you've got all these people at the Superior Word. Guess who does all of those? Well, yeah, because there's not a lot of people in the church. But before coronavirus, I cannot believe with the size of the church we have in Sarasota how much time I spent at Sarasota Memorial Hospital. Isn't that right? I mean, I was there almost every single free day I had, and even on days when it wasn't free, I was down there. If somebody's in the hospital, I tried to go every single day, I, other than Monday, unless there was an emergency, okay, and Sunday. If I could, I would go in between something, but normally that is impossible too. But other than that, I tried to go every single day somebody's in the hospital because it's important. Some people are there and they're lonely. Some people are there and they're scared, whatever. So that's what you do. But now, I, I mean, this is so crazy. You can't even go in and visit somebody. It's just terrible. Anyway, that's a diversion and I apologize about that, but I get upset about those kind of things. Anyway, John the Baptist said that Christ would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We are told to baptize disciples, therefore we do that with water. Okay, uh, what faith in Christ would provide was far more than mere externals. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we'll go back there. 1 Corinthians 12, and then we have verse 13 says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And all have been made to drink into one spirit. For, in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Okay, so there you go with that. And in a very similar statement, Paul says this in Romans chapter 6. He says, verse 3, um, Or do you, know, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his 
death. Okay, so once again, you're baptized into Christ Jesus. All right, water baptism is simply a, a picture of that, but it is a picture that requires you to do it out of obedience. Okay, so there you go. Paul is not speaking of water baptism there, but of the uniting with Christ in his death through faith in his work. And that's why when we go out to baptize, I just baptized somebody about uh, just shortly ago, and I always say the same things to them when I do that. I say, I'm going to ask you two questions when we go out to the water. The first is, are you willing to receive or have you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Okay, and they answer yes or no. And then the next question I ask them is, are you willing to follow him in believer's baptism? And they can say yes or no. And I warn them as I take them out that if you answer yes to the first and no to the second, I will dunk you and let you bring yourself out. Okay, so they, you, you will stay down otherwise. But if they say yes to both, then I will do the whole job and I'll bring them out. Okay, anyway, that's my joke for him. Anyway, um, here we go. Uh, Paul is not speaking of water baptism, but the uniting of Christ in his death through faith in his work. In death... Our sins are wiped away, and in this act we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is our baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want people to understand that there is no such thing as a second baptism, a second, you know, what the charismatics teach. The Bible does not teach that, okay? There is no such thing as being baptized, you know, first with the Holy Spirit and then receiving a second uh, birthing of the Holy Spirit and all that kind of stuff, okay? When you believe you receive 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. That is doctrine from the epistles. There's nothing else to substantiate anything else, okay? That is what happens when you are baptized in belief, okay? All right, it's uh, Holy Spirit, which is our baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul explains this in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. I'll read it right now. This is your prescription from Paul's hand as to what happens when you believe in the Holy Spirit, okay? Hang on just a sec. I got to turn there. And uh, what did I just say? Ephesians. Okay, so I got Ephesians, Philippians. All right. And then that's in chapter 1, 13 and 14. That says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So you trusted after you heard the word, okay? The gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, here it is, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, that's it. When you believe, you receive, and that's what happens. There's no need to have somebody stand up and start going off crazy in tongues or any of these outward displays. If that happens, that happens, and it's probably because they're scared and they don't know what else to do and they start acting in a crazy manner. But when you believe, it doesn't matter what else happens around you in this world? The Lord read your heart. He knows that you believed in your heart and you were sealed, okay? That is a personal thing that happens between the Lord and you and nobody else. There's nobody else that can say that person isn't really saved. And there's no person that can say, I know that person is saved. I can feel pretty certain that the people in this church right now are saved, but that's not my decision. And likewise, I can be pretty certain that that person over there is not saved, but that is not between me and them. The Lord knows. And when he seals somebody, it is eternal. That is it. The Lord does not make mistakes. If he made a mistake, then it would be a guarantee that was not a guarantee at all, a crummy one. So remember, always remind yourself of that. 
because I know people have difficult times. They have times where they think, how could you love me, Lord? How could you have saved me? Well, the, the fact is that he did save you, okay? And we can't use our limited human emotions and our limited human ability to perceive things and apply them to God. He is infinitely wise. He is all-knowing. And when he makes a decree, it is an eternal decree. God does not have decrees like we do where we waffle on him and we change our minds. God doesn't do that. Okay. Salvation is eternal and just leave it at that. There's no such thing as, oh yeah, right here, there's no such thing as a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a one-time deal which occurs by faith in the accomplished work of Christ. This is the glory of the death and resurrection of Jesus for us. What was dead is made alive by a mere act of faith. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5, we are shown this was actually pictured in Israel's exodus through the Red Sea. We might as well just read that, seeing as how we're here. I didn't underline it, so I didn't quote it when I did the epistle. But, we'll re oh, I'm in Romans, not in Galatians, so I'm going forward instead of backwards. Uh, okay, uh, let me see here. 1 Corinthians 10, there we are. And then verses 1 through 5 say, eight, whoops, next page, Charlie. 1 through 5, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So there you go with that. We're shown that this was actually pictured in Israel's exodus through the Red Sea. It's quite evident that the water baptism is not at all involved in the process. The faith is exercised, the righteousness is granted, the spirit is given, and then, only then, is the sign received, that of water baptism. This is the exact same pattern as what occurred with Abraham. Before I go on, the reason why I harped on that particular order of things right there is to deny the doctrine of the Church of Christ, which says you must be baptized in order to be saved. They take a descriptive verse out of the book of Acts, and they apply it as prescriptive. And from there, they build up an entire theology, including that you have to be baptized in the Church of Christ. That's right. So this is wrong. It's wrong from the start. It is taking the book of Acts in a prescriptive manner, which it should not be, and then it is taking that and it is applying it to theology, which Paul completely refutes. So let me read that again so you can follow what's going on. It is quite evident that water baptism is not at all involved in the process. We're saved by faith. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says. The moment we are exercise faith and believe, we're sealed with the Spirit. There was no time for you to go out and get water baptized. It just happened. Okay, the faith is exercised, the righteousness is granted, the spirit is given, and then, only then, is the sign received, that of water baptism. And then I said that that's what happened with Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Genesis 15, 15 verse 6. six. Thank you. Okay, you're right. Okay, so uh, the relationship was restored. And only after that did he receive the sign of circumcision, which was Genesis 17. 17. See, I'm just checking to see if Burke is still functioning, and he is. He's doing just fine. The water baptism has nothing to do with salvation. 
Instead, it has to do with obedience. When a person is saved, they then make a public demonstration of their new life. They go to the water just as Jesus went to the cross. They are fully submerged. The Greek word for baptism indicates full submersion, and therefore the word was transliterated, not translated, in an attempt to avoid confusion. Okay, back in the time when these early Bibles were being translated, okay, everybody got this back at the time of Wycliffe and the uh, Geneva Bible and the King James Bible, there was a problem. Most of the people had been infant baptized, okay? And there was still the conflicts within the churches, okay? Well, the church does get infant baptized. And so these translators did not want to lose their heads over a translation. They did not want to get into a theological quagmire. So what did they do? They transliterated from the Greek the word baptizo, okay? It's the same word. It is baptism in English, but it came directly out of the Greek. And that way they avoided all of the problems with getting in bad with King James or getting in bad with Pope, you know, whoever, whatever. That is why that word was transliterated. They did not say to be immersed in water. Everybody understand that? And so ever since then, we've had this giant problem within the church of people arguing over baptism when there should be no argument at all. The Lord commanded it, we are to do it, and further, it is full immersion, and it happens after your salvation, okay? All of those things could have been avoided if they had gone through the translation and done a proper job, but there's a reason why it didn't happen, and so here we are, thousands of denominations around the world, and everybody's pulling on their own strings and saying, this is right. All they need to do is go back to the Greek and check it out and go back to what the Bible says, and it all becomes clear. Hang on, he had something. Well, Philip uh, baptized the unity. They went down into water and came up. That's said, right. But you know what? Even the word there can be, it, it, it's not really as clear as it sounds in the English. I just want you to know that. It, how about when the Lord was baptized? He said coming up out there. Oh, well, the that's right, and people argue over that as well. I understand. <laughs> okay, but the word baptism, we don't need to get into all of those other arguments that people say, well, the wording could be, because go read Barnes's uh, commentary on that particular verse, especially about Philip, and it's like this long, okay? But it, it is true, but the word baptism means full immersion. When a ship sinks, guess what it does? It gets yes. baptized. That's right. So, okay, here's the question I have. You just said that it was it happened for a reason. Are you saying that this is the reason that we get the? No, 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 no. I'm saying that it happened. They didn't want to get their heads cut off. Well, I understand yeah. That, so but that's like, you know, it, 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 it perverted the word of God. No, means, it, they just transliterated a word, so they expect people to understand what baptism so means. It came from it. So they didn't pervert anything. They just translated. And we got lots of transliterations in the Bible. Okay, there are lots of words that came out of the Greek that are the same in the English. And you'll see that when I go through the, uh, you know, we have the word moros becomes moron. Okay, it's just a transliteration. So when we call somebody that, it's actually that, right? Anyway, um, but that's not in the Bible. They would translate it as foolish or being a fool, whatever. But um, uh, they didn't pervert it. They were trying to avoid getting in an argument. Okay, that's all. They, they were just trying to save themselves from whatever the people would do because somebody would come and... Yeah, exactly. They just didn't want to have that. So, it, one more thing? You, no, okay. Um, it's not translating an attempt to avoid confusion. Oh, okay. They were fully submerged. The Greek word for baptism indicates full submersion and therefore the word was transliterated, not translated, in an attempt to avoid confusion. 
as a picture of going into the grave, just as Jesus' body was laid in the tomb. And finally, the person is raised out of the water as a picture of being raised to newness of life through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the intent and the purpose of water baptism. It's not for the person that's been saved. It's as a public demonstration so the people that see him can understand what they have not yet decided to do. Okay, somebody that says, well, I'm kind of in the uh, air about this. Well, they, why did they do that? It's because it's a picture of what the Lord did, and he's following the Lord in that. And so then they can say, oh, I see that. When we're out at Turtle Beach, I don't care if they ever pass a law, because I've had people say, you can't go out there and baptize people. You know, I wouldn't care if they said that or not. I would still do it. There is nobody that's going to tell me I'm not going to go out there and baptize somebody at Turtle Beach. I'm going to do or wherever they want to be baptized. I don't care what law they pass, that is the right of, uh, I'm just saying that people will do that. They'll say, like out in California, well, you can't do that, you know, whatever, there's COVID-19 COVID and, you know, whatever. <laughs> people are always trying to think of reasons to tell you not to do things. That ain't going to happen. We are making a public demonstration of what happened in that person's life for other people to see. It's going to happen. Anyway. Um, Charlie. Yes. My good friend married a Catholic when he was in the Air Force. Okay. And she didn't go to church, of course, and Ron and I would go to church and we'd come back to his house and we'd discuss what was going on. Right. So she would sit there knitting and all this. She went to a baptism, though, and saw this lady go down, and that convinced her that she needed to be saved. Now, there you go. See, and that's the purpose of baptism. Yeah. People can't seem to get this straight in their heads. It's, oh, you know, I don't need to do that. Or if you're hyper-dispensationalist and you say that only belongs to the Jews and all these crazy things... That is the purpose. I don't know if you heard what Burke said, so I'll repeat it, is that there was a woman that was a Catholic. She was married to a guy that was in church, and they talk about the church all the time in front of her, but it never convicted her. And finally, she went to a baptism that they were holding, and she understood the implication of what it meant. And she says, I need to be saved. Yeah. It dawned on her. That is the purpose of it. It's not for the person that's being baptized other than obedience. It's for everybody else to see and to want to know why are they doing that. That is what it's for. It's to convict people and to bring them to an understanding of Jesus, just like everything is, the public reading of Scripture and everything else that we're supposed to do, okay? Um, so, if you have received Jesus, you are saved. Water baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. However, Jesus gave two ordinances to his followers. The first is the Lord's Supper, and the second is water baptism. In obedience to his directives, don't you think it's time to be properly baptized as an open profession of your inward change? Okay, 328. You read these verses, and then you mentioned it probably 10 times, the word faith. Right. In this 23rd through the 26th, faith is mentioned six times. Okay. Written right there. Faith, Absolutely. Faith faith faith, 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 faith. That's what Paul says. And, and heard you say that. So faith well, come by here, faith come, that's right. And we just want to keep reading the word of God yeah. and keep sharing it with people. And that's, you know, and I make a point when I'm working, I got my truck and I've got the Bible going and it's always going. And when I get out to uh, fill up the gas tank, I turn it all the way up and then I fill up my gas tank with the door open because I want somebody to maybe hear something. And then when I'm working at the mall, if I, you know, like today I went back to the mall and I had the chainsaw and went and cut down a bunch of stuff and cleared out a whole bunch of stuff. And while I was doing that, after I turned up the chainsaw, I went and I turned on the uh, car and I turned the thing all the way up in case somebody's going to the restaurant next door and they hear the word. That, we want to get people to hear the word. We want them to understand that Christians do things for a reason. And, you know, when I'm out 
uh, working in the front of the mall, right by the sidewalk where people are. If it's time to do the uh, palm fronds, which is coming soon, I will open up the door of the car, turn up the radio all the way and listen to the Bible being played and people will walk by and some people give you a thumbs up and some people, you know, whatever. You never know what you're going to get. But I do that on purpose because I want people to hear the word of God being read out loud. And so that's what I do. Anyway, um, we got to go on. 328. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, it would help if I was on the right page because I'm in a completely different book. I, um, let me check what it says. Um, uh, that's 328. And there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is... The most, the most abused verse out of the book of Galatians and quite possibly in the top 10 of most abused verses in all of the Bible. This is it. I want you to know that before I say anything about that, that this one is quoted by people out of context so often that it literally makes me nauseous to have to answer it again. And people won't listen even when you do. But this is it. If you want the most abused verse in all of the book of Galatians, and which is misapplied constantly, allowing women to be preachers, allowing this and allowing that, saying that we are now Jews, on and on and on. This is the most abused verse that you're going to come across out of this book. These words are so simple and so clear that the obvious nature of them is often overlooked. Paul has just stated that as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The words now only apply to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay. For those who have put on Christ, they are called by his name. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Now, even before I give my comment, I'm just going to ask you a question. Are there males and females in this church right now? Can you tell the difference between them? then obviously Paul is not trying to conflate Jews and Gentiles being the same thing or women and men being the same thing. He's not doing that. He's also not saying that slaves and free are the same thing. Everybody got that? You, you, one of the uh, verses that you went back to to read about baptism had these same categories. Yeah, okay. that's right. Are you going to mention it? No, I might, but I, I'm, I'm in this one and it's enough. Right. Yeah, I might, but I, I may not. I don't know because I haven't read this commentary in eight years or whatever. But okay, um, Jew nor Greek. This is where the greatest distinction of all lay in the mind of the Jews. Everybody got that? Because a woman can be a Jew and a male can be a Jew and they are Jews and everything else is secondary. I have to tell you this, that when RBG died recently, the Jews sided with her in their hearts, even if they didn't side with her in their politics. She is a Jew, and that is it. And if a Jew believes that they are going to heaven because they're a Jew, they believe that she, regardless of what she did, is going to heaven. Does everybody understand that? It's the same thing as Muslims. Muslim, Muslims are first and foremost Muslims before anything else. I know I lived in a Muslim country for three years. I can tell you that explicitly. Jews are first and foremost Jews, okay? They were on one side, the Gentiles were on the other. The term Greek here is being applied to any non-Jew. Because of the conquests of Alexander, the Greek culture 
influence, and language had permeated the known world. Within that sphere, the Jews remained Jews, though. Everybody got that? They were all over the world. It was with the Greek Empire. It was also with the Babylonian Empire. It was with the Medo-Persian Empire. They were always Jews. It was us against them, and it's still that way to this day. Okay. In order to then show that this distinction was now void, he states this first. To the Galatians, it was an admonishment that they were not to look to the Jews for their doctrine, but to God, which is what I try to implore people about these Jews that come out and start writing books and start teaching on YouTube, that you are making a fundamental mistake when you look at them as Jews and think that they know what they're talking about. Because we have this guy, I mentioned him in a prophecy update recently, and I said that he has said that if you, Burke's phone is ringing right now, so it's going to take a second for him to get that off. If you do not support the nation of Israel, you are not a born-again Christian, and you will not be taken out at the rapture. Okay, this is a person that gets hundreds of thousands of views on his Bible classes every week. Okay, and he tells people that nonsense. And so I called him out on it, and guess what he did? He said, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. Here's what I'm going to do. He changed his approach, and he says that if you do not support the nation of Israel, you do not have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit, is proper discernment. Well, I can tell you that there are not two Christians on this planet that agree on everything in the Bible. Not two. If anybody says they agree with everything another Christian believes on in the Bible, they've never compared their notes. Okay, that is a fact. So discernment, you can take that and throw it right out. But once again, all he's doing is saying that you can't be saved if you don't support the nation of Israel. He's taking the same heresy and he's just rewording it so that people that don't understand theology will do this. Do not trust somebody because he is Jewish. Do not trust somebody because he was a, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm, yeah. You don't want to trust somebody simply because he was a general officer in the military. You don't want to trust somebody because he was a congressman or because he's handsome like me. It doesn't make a difference what a person looks like or what his lineage is or what his, uh, how much money he has in the bank. None of those things make any difference. That is what is known as a category mistake. And Paul is trying to break that down here. That's what he's doing, and we don't get this through our heads, okay? And so people are still following people like that. You know, people, somebody posted, and I'll say it, so I, it's fine if you don't like what I'm about to say, but somebody posted, John Hagee has got COVID-19, and they were, please pray for John Hagee, okay? And I said, in my post back under her post, I said, I want you to know that I will pray that he will repent of his theology, because he has sent so many Jews to hell that he is culpable for every one of them. He believes in dual covenant theology, the exact same doctrine as the Roman Catholic Church. Jews can be saved by adherence to the Torah. That's right. And he teaches that. He does not evangelize Jews. He says he's the great friend of Israel. He's got that big Israel magazine and all this, and he is doing nobody any help at all. I will pray that he will wake up in that hospital better, wherever he is, and he will say, I've been wrong about this, and I repent right now, because he's got to face the Lord. He's already in his 80s, and this may kill him and it may not. But I'm not going to pray for his earthly body. I'm going to pray for his spiritual state before the Lord because he's got a lot to account for. Anyway, slave nor free. Let me go back. For their doctrine but to God. They were not to insert the false teachings of the Judaizers, but to submerse themselves in the truth of the gospel. That's it. Don't look at anybody because of who he is or where he was trained or if he's got a doctorate in theology or it doesn't matter. Okay? And Will Groban, I'm always... 
pumping him up before he comes and preaches. And I says he's been trained in biblical Hebrew and Greek. That actually makes little difference if he doesn't know his Bible. Okay, because all of the people that you read the commentaries for, go on to the BibleHub.com and read their commentaries, and every one of them was properly trained in Hebrew and Greek. They know it better than any Jew or any Greek-speaking person on this planet. I guarantee you. And yet they come to completely opposite decisions about their theology. Completely opposite decisions. So even that doesn't matter. Being trained in Hebrew and Greek doesn't mean anything. Okay, what matters is proper adherence to the Word of God and a right application of the context. Okay, so this is important. People say, ah, oh, Charlie harps on this too much. I don't care. This is important because if you get misdirected by somebody, that's why I pray at the beginning of every Bible study, I try to mention it. Lord, if we are not right, please don't let people be misled by me because I'm doing the best I can, but it doesn't mean I'm right. Okay, next category, slave nor free. The free people of the Roman Empire were considered on a completely different level than the slaves. Okay, this distinction was so great that Paul's words here could hardly be imagined by either class when considering the other. We still have this in the world today in the country of India. India. That's right. We have the caste system. Now, that's been, a, 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 what is it, outlawed by India, but it still exists. That caste system is as strong today as it was 300 years ago, with very few exceptions. You know, women are no longer burned on their husband's pyre, stuff like that. They've gotten rid of stuff like that. But, yeah, well, it depends on where you are. You might be in a village where they still do that kind of thing. But for the most part, it is against the law to do those things. But it is still ingrained in their society, and you will never see people mixing between castes. It's not going to happen. Okay, even in Malaysia, where I was, there are the, the Indians that were brought there as the farmers were in the lower castes, and then you've got some that moved there from the higher castes. You ain't going to see them having a party together. It's not going to happen. Okay, this is something that when Paul writes these words, they could not have imagined. They could not have imagined this, but for Christ Jesus. That is the only thing that makes this possible for him to say. And reading the book of Philemon will help show you that. Paul is putting uh, Onesimus on a completely different level than he should have been within the framework of the society. Okay, um, the, slate, the distinction was so great that Paul's words here could hardly be imagined by either class when considering the other. But once in Christ, the distinctions, not the differences, but the distinctions are removed. Everybody see that? There's a difference between Jody and me. I hope people can discern that, okay? There is there's male and there is female. The differences exist. The distinctions in Christ do not, okay? Slave nor free. Jew, Gentile, slave, free. The letter of Philemon gives important insights into this. Here it is. I can be a pastor because... There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free, etc., etc. And this is what they do with this verse. I've seen this so many times, I cannot tell you, using this verse and taking it out of, out of its context. Male nor female. It is obvious what sex a person is from the moment, the moment he or she is born. This never changes, and each person's gender remains an identifying part of who they are until the day of their death. I'm not talking about what we perversely do in this society or other societies around the world. That's not what I'm talking about. That's right. The person is still the person, and the DNA reflects that. 
okay? But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what God has instilled in that person will never, ever change. The modern perversion of transgenderism does not change the fact that males are males and females are females. However, this most basic distinction between the two is no longer considered a limiting or dividing factor when in Christ. Despite these markedly different categories within the world itself, in Christ they are not considered as affecting one's standing for all or one, as Paul says, in Christ Jesus. You read the book of James, and he talks about preferential treatment. Well, there's a poor person, you sit at my feet, and there's a rich person, you come and sit over here. Okay, that's another distinction, and that may have even applied to slaves and free, whatever. James is saying you are not to do that. We do it anyway in churches, don't we? I mean, we always give preference to the richer people or the famous people that show up at the door, and we don't want to do that. Everybody should be on the same level. I, I said this when I was uh, uh, talking to some of the guys that I was with in Ohio before we went to the church where John Holler was, and I said, when John Holler came here and he did his prophecy update at this church, he stood right here. He had to go. He was on his way from Benita, uh, yeah, Benita Springs. He was going up to Tampa for a, a lawyer thing, whatever lawyers do, whatever. Anyway, uh, he stood right here, and he gave his time to every single person. He didn't leave until the last person had answered the last he had answered the last question of them. And some people really want to talk. You know that. They'll get you in a corner, and you can't get away. He was so gracious with his time, but he treated everybody on the same level. I got to tell you what, that is a mark of a person that understands in Christ Jesus there are no distinctions, okay? Because I've been to churches where the pastor will up and snub you when you walk in the door if you don't look like him with a nice shirt or whatever. It's happened to me personally. You know, I come in, I got a beard, and I'm wearing sandals, and they won't even talk to you. Happened to me right over at Temple Baptist Church one time. Won't even, wouldn't even talk to me. Not even, not even look at me. So, you know what, that's, that's their problem, and they're the ones that have to stand before the Lord. But, um, let's see here, where was I? Um, yeah, despite the markedly different categories within the world itself in Christ, they are not considered as affecting one standing for all or one in Christ Jesus. Having said this, Paul's words here actually imply that these distinctions, I should say differences, still exist in the world in which we live. When naming categories, it shows that the categories are there to name. No one reading his words would look around at their fellow Christians and say, well, there are no males and females in this church. The same is true with those who are slaves and those who are free. The differences exist in the world to this day. And yet those who believe the church has replaced Israel ignore the categories that Paul mentions first, Jew and Gentile. He specifically says there are Jews and there are Gentiles. You would have to be as stupid as saying there's no longer males and females as you would saying there are no longer Jews and Gentiles. And yet there is an entire group of people out there, an entire group of replacement theologians that say, what's his name, R.C. Sproul? In his Table Talk magazine said, you want to know where the Jews are? Here we are. He said that in his Table Talk magazine. He's saying he's the Jew of today. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But that's, you have to, if you're going to say that, then you have to say, you want to know where the females are? Well, here we are. You have to, it's the same thing. Anyway, okay, let's see. Uh, the same is true. Yeah, I know, my voice went up not high enough or whatever, not shrill enough or whatever. Okay, um, so uh, no one reading his words would look around at their fellow Christians and say, well, there are no more males and females. The same is true with those who are slaves and free. The differences in the world exist, okay? To state the names implies there is a difference. 
Though there is no distinction between them in Christ, there is a difference between them in the world. Paul's words, in the world. The church is not comprised of only Jews. But this is the ludicrous claim of replacement theologians such as R.C. Sproul. Oh, here it is. I got it right here. I forgot that I put this in the commentary. In his monthly magazine published by Ligonier Ministries, he stated, this is his words, we're not dispensationalists here. We believe that the church is essentially Israel. We believe that the answer to what about the Jews is here we are. We deny that the church is God's plan B. We deny that we are living in God's redemptive parenthesis. I don't know one dispensationalist that would say this is plan B, not one, or that this is a parenthesis. They may, I may have heard some people use that term, whatever. The Jews are out as a nation. The people, not individual Jews, the nation is out because of disobedience. They are under punishment. And when that ends, guess what? The church is going to be out of here. And then the nation of Israel will again be the focus of what's going on in the world. Well, doesn't this that, premise violate this very thing? It's like, where are the Jews? We are the Jews. That's so right. You're saying there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no Jew or Gentile. So Absolutely. Why are, you, why are you saying this? The whole thing makes no sense. It is very poor theology, and it shocks me to see such an intelligent man, because he was a really intelligent man, make such a fundamental error. But when you're taught something, when you are taught something, you will almost always believe that afterward. That's why there are Jehovah's Witnesses, that you can show them all of the information of the deity of Christ, and they will never come out of it, because it's, uh, what is it, uh, what's the term we use? Cognitive dissonance. My mind simply shuts that off. I just, I shut it off. And that's, we do it with all kinds of things in life, and it is dangerous. And that's why I say it when I type the, the uh, commentaries here in the morning, and when I type the sermons on uh, Monday morning, I try to shut everything out of my mind. Whatever I'm believing, I'm just going to shut it out because I want to make sure that what I am typing is right out of the word. And I got to admit, I was talking to myself cleaning the bathroom about two hours ago. Lord, I know that I do this. I know that I got presuppositions. And my, my comment to him, I was just coming up. I remember I'm about to clean the mirror. I said, Lord, I pray that my presuppositions are correct because if they're not, I'm presupposing that this is correct here, and I'm the one that's wrong. That's a bad state to be in. So I'd rather have the Lord change my presuppositions. Let them be correct. Anyway, there's nothing you can do about it unless the Lord is willing to turn your heart. But I would never teach something I thought was wrong. And I don't think R.C. Sproul would either. He is just wrong. Okay, anyway, it's absolute malarkey to think this way. He would never claim there are no women because all are one in Christ. But the differences between Jews and Gentiles are brushed over, or the title of Jew is co-opted by those who are not Jews. Let us use common sense when we read passages such as this. Life application. If you are a Jew in Christ, you remain a Jew. Sergio is just as Jewish today as before he became a Christian, and he will always be that way. Okay, if you are a Gentile in Christ, you remain a Gentile. I'm sorry, you can do whatever you want to try to be Jewish, and you are not Jewish. You are a Gentile. Okay, there's no distinction between the two, but the differences remain. Don't call yourself what you are not. We should take that and proclaim it right out on the streets of San Francisco. Don't call yourself what you are not. Okay, three two. Oh, you, you get thrown in jail out there for doing that. But I want to be this. Okay, 329. 
If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay, that's almost identical. So we're going to leave that right there, put down the Bible. Now watch, I'm going to have to go to another verse. Okay, as was noted in the commentary on verse 16, the seed mentioned in that verse is speaking of those who are in Christ. Verse 19 mentioned the seed, capital S, and it was speaking of Christ. Understanding what Paul has been communicating shows us that we are in with the whole, I'm sorry, we are in, I got it, yeah, there it is, Christ and heirs to the promise. This verse then sums up the entire discourse on the issue of Abraham, the promise and the seed. For those who have called on Christ, believing in his work and not attempting to be justified by deeds of the law, but by simple faith in what he has done, we are then reckoned as Abraham's seed, Paul's words. Though the word is singular, it speaks of all that issues from a single seed. One seed can bear a hundredfold, and those hundred can then bear another hundredfold, and so on. It is only those who are of the nature of Abraham and who are contained within the issue of that one seed who are being spoken of. It is those who are, as Paul says, heirs according to the promise. Paul speaks in the same manner in Romans chapter 8. Here's what he says. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. He says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Turning again to Romans, Paul says this in Romans chapter 4. And we'll go to verse 16, and he says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Physical descent from Abraham has no bearing at all on whether one is saved or not. Zero. Rather, those who believe in God's word and promise, which is realized in Christ, are those who are reckoned as descendants of Abraham and thus adopted sons of God. Life application. We're going to stop here because it's a new uh, chapter starting. So we'll stop a little bit early today. And that's okay because I've got something I need to go and pick up anyway. Um, I'm going down right to the end of the road, making a slight jog and then straight in, and I'm going to get Thai food. I left a note for my wife and said, I will provide dinner today. And she knows that doesn't mean I'm going to cook because I'll tell you what, here's the deal about my cooking before we uh, finish the life application. I tried cooking and, you know, when people would come over and the backyard is so full of buried bodies that I just gave up. So from now on, whenever I prepare dinner for my wife, it is done by somebody else. Yeah, I, I'm the worst cook on the. the oh, I'm I'm the worst cook on the planet. Um, life application. Where in the verses of Galatians three is there any hint that we are required to work deeds of the law in order to be pleasing to God? Anywhere, you ain't gonna find it. The answer is nowhere. Rather, the law is contrary to the promise. It stands opposed to it. Don't be so foolish as to be duped into believing that you can be more pleasing to God by exercising your religious life through keeping precepts of the law. It is utterly contradictory to the very words of the Bible. Have faith in Christ, rest in Christ, and be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We do not need deeds of the law in order to be pleasing to God. 
What we need to do is to trust that he fulfilled the law. He gave his life up in fulfillment of the law. And guess what? If you want to be under law, law by law comes the knowledge of sin and by law comes the imputation of sin. If you are under the law, if that's where you want to be, then you will be imputed all of the sin that you commit against the law. And the law is such a big book. It's such a big body of things to do that you will never, ever, ever do them. You say, oh, I can, I can observe the law of Moses. Read it sometime. Try reading it and then being obedient to it. It ain't going to happen. And there is no, I'm sorry, there is no given for these people when they say, oh, well, we don't have to observe this because that's done at the temple and there's no temple now. I'm sorry, the Bible doesn't give you that option. You must do what it says in those particular rites. And if you're not doing it, then you are condemned. And all it takes is one infraction of the body of the law to condemn you, just one. If you've broken one law, you have broken the whole law. That's what James says. That's what is obviously understood because as we've seen a couple times and we'll see again, we saw it I think last week, is that when Moses uses the term, the commandment, singular, and the statutes and judgments, plural. The statutes and judgments define the commandment. It is one law. It is one codified body. If you break one statute or one judgment, you've broken the whole commandment. Don't go down that path. Heavenly Father, thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the wonder and the marvel of what he has done. And thank you for what you have given through the hand of Paul in his epistles. They are such a wonderful thing to freer ourselves from the, the, the need to make stuff up or to improperly handle your word. If we just stick to Paul's letters and then take them in their proper context and then go to the book of Hebrews and take that in its proper context and so on, everything will be fine. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for what you have done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we just give you all the glory that we can. And we just praise you and we love you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, here we go. Oh. oh, we've got to put this on break. And then.